Welcome to The Little Guys, a show dedicated to exploring the craft of independent artists of any medium. I'm your host, Joshua Wade Freeman. This episode, I am joined by the writer and the editor for the up-and-coming comic, Bite, Robert Livingston and Mike Stevens. How are you guys doing today? We're doing just fine. I'm doing just fine. Hi, this is Robert Livingston right here, writer of Tom and Artie and also of the, of the upcoming comic, Bite. And this is my associate, a.k.a. my editor, slash my friend, Mike Stevens. Hey there. We'll start talking about Byte, and then we'll move more into um, your guys' other projects. Um, Byte seems like this twist on Street Sharks. I know on your Twitter you guys have even like called it that. Where does that idea come from? I'll go straight into the meat, the nitty gritty of it. You see, when I first wrote Bite, it was not originally what it was. It actually was a uh, a gritty Street Sharks reboot that me and Mike here we were writing for laughs at the start because I, I forgot what I forgot what really fueled this idea. But I just came up to Mike one day. I messaged him. And I was just like, "Hey, dude, you know what we should do? We should freaking reboot Street Sharks. How how sick would that be?" <laughs> and so I start. We started writing up a uh, a little draft script which would have been there were going to be two parts of it one part was going to be like a a trailer this r-rated street sharks trailer scene and the other thing was going to be with uh with like the real life version of them where they're trying to pitch this show or this new movie to all these executives in the boardroom and getting the reactions because I was just going completely crazy with the with the action scenes. I was just like, man, I want to write a, uh, I want to write like a monster truck that has like these grills that are shaped like shark teeth, and I want to have Vin Diesel in it too as uh, as uh, Mike. What was the name of like their partner in uh, in in Street Sharks? Skids. You know, Skids. Yeah, I wanted yeah. Vin Diesel as Skids <laughs> because you know Vin Diesel used to advertise the Street Sharks toys back back in the day. And I still say that. that yeah, he was they, a booth bro at the uh, toy shows. Yeah, I was say I was saying that if they ever reboot Street Sharks, either as like a show or a movie, they need to get Vin Diesel in it, no matter what, no matter what. I don't care what it takes. But yeah, but, but yeah, when as I was writing the scenes of all the action, I started realizing, you know what, I I kind of like this. I like this as a straightforward thing. So I just. Because, I mean, Mike here, he's the type that if you don't constantly talk to him about it, he's not going to mention it anymore, depending. So I just started spinning things off on my own terms into what Byte, into what Byte is becoming right now. It, it was because when I was doing that, I wanted to write something. I wanted to write a story that was R-rated. I wanted to write a mature-rated story. I was always kind of eh about doing them before is because... I most I have no problem with gore. I have no problem with gore and all that. You know, I'm all, I'm all about that stuff when it comes to movies and shows. But the tough thing that always gets me is when it comes to the aspect of like you know hardcore swears and all that because I always feel like that's kind of tricky in the story because if you use it too much, it's gonna be it's gonna make it seem juvenile. If you use it too little, people are gonna say, uh, "Why even bother having the M rating on it?" You get me? Is that why one of the one of your three characters, like uh, her her bit, is that she has has a uh, sailor's tongue, for lack of a better term? Yes, Olivia. <laughs> Olivia is another thing about Olivia. Olivia was originally in first draft. She was a guy. She was a male. She was a uh, her first name was Omar in the original draft. Same species. Same species. It was. I only switched it to a, a girl 
because there was two reasons for that. One reason was that I thought it would be fun to have like a female character be the uh, the hothead kind of dumb one. And also because a ton of people were telling me, dude, you should add like a shark girl. That would get so many people on board with this. Shark girls always get people on board with this idea. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> So you guys have a very um, – you guys are telling a nonlinear story, it looks like, from um, what I've been able to see of Byte so far. Why not just tell a traditional linear it, story? It, it is a linear story. Yeah, uh, just just bear in mind we're only just kind of laying down the past, and it's not going to be like constant flashbacks. This isn't noir. Uh, <laughs> I, I would not, I would not say it as that. It, it's just more or less giving you an idea of how the world was before, uh, dread the Cobra stand in, uh, <laughs> goes away. Yeah, it was, I, I was mostly feeling that we wouldn't really need a lot of stuff to be cemented in the past because it's all about, it's all about the present with the characters. It's also playing in line with how they feel, which is just that the characters, uh, you know, Olivia, Warwick, and Truman, they aren't really looking back at their past so much unless they're questioned about it, which is why you have the Ashcan preview there. And I'll be honest, the Ashcan preview is probably going to be one of the only few times we're going to see those glimpses into the past, like directly in flashbacks. Most of what you'll see before, after that, will be like maybe uh, a character or two that they worked with comes back, or that maybe they visit some old dread based locations. That's planned. In, that's planned in with the story. But overall, yeah, it is planned to be a linear storyline, and we're functioning it off of around six or five issues is where I'm currently writing the outlines at, and in those five issues. I'm framing it in an arc one to kind of to kind of, you know, test the water, see how much people like it, see how much people will want more. Because I have like draft plans on if I want to continue with past five or like past six. OK, do you guys plan your stories to have a definite end or do you sort of write your stuff like Todd McFarlane writes Spawn where there is an ending and he can put it in, put it in at any time, but he really doesn't want to. I we usually plan for an ending. You would say you would agree with that, right, Mike? Yeah, yeah, I think it's fair to say that we we try to make sure that there is an ending, uh, and and I want to make sure that like there's actually two endings. Uh, one is that there's there's some kind of definitive uh, ending of the story, but also of the episode. Uh, both both Rob and I agree that there's kind of a problem in comic books these days where. Where, we, uh, where we're just telling uh, essentially one part of a, a multi-part story. And there's, there's no beginning and middle and end. And I feel like you can do like a connecting story that has, uh, that has like multiple act one, act two, act three, end, but then you can leave more connections to other parts. Yeah, that was what we that was what we were going with our storyline as well. That's I mean, it's like what Mike said. You see that in a lot of books that people that people want to make these days is that they want to leave so many threads hanging because I understand the power of lore 
inter- for an audience because you know these days a lot of people love a little mystery to the story like you toss a few hints of a character that was there before or maybe hints of another location and people will start connecting the dots it, i mean we have entire we have entire youtube profiles youtube like youtubers that base their entire content around connecting dots it's something that people love these days because it keeps them invested in the story it makes like it makes them feel like they're a part of the universe but it's even worse when you as the creator you only gave those hints out just to give out hints you had no plans for it it's even worse when people guess what you're doing like right off the bat and you just gotta think shit (laughs) well i i I, well you know that's gonna be the the problem of the day uh i totally agree with dan Harmon when he stated that uh the internet is a uh it's a data farm so you know just just be thankful for there was at least one point where where no one got it once somebody figured it out it's well it's okay because well it it, it kind of sucks for us but it's it's okay for them because I, the worst thing I feel a, a writer can do is then immediately start changing the entire project. Oh yeah, I agree. Um, mm-hmm. Hi JJ, we're looking at you. I was felt <laughs> about the mystery box. <laughs> Um, but, oh, I've got a lot in that mystery box. Don't don't open up that box, or Mike. He's not gonna he's not gonna stop if you open that box. Let's just. I'm, I'm being good here. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you guys released. You guys are you guys made an ash can, but um, that hasn't been a popular thing in comics for a good couple of decades now. What made you guys want to do that? It was because when we were when things were coming up for our Silicon Valley Comic Con, we were just going to be selling copies of Tom and Artie. But at the time, we also well, I, when I was talking with the artist Roger Bonnet Martinez, along with our colorist uh, Esther Pimentel, aka Gilly, we were discussing what we were going to do with it because I wasn't ready to write the script, the main script for the first issue just yet. I was still outlining it, and I'm the kind of guy where, when I'm writing the outlines, I want to make sure that I have as many details in it that i can work with and i just want it to feel something very concrete i can work off of so i came up with the idea of no actually i think it was mike that gave me the idea about about doing an ash can that yeah that was my that was this. my little brainchild yeah, yeah exactly because it was it wasn't the first time he mentioned he mentioned to me about doing ash cans I remember when you sent it to me you were like i'll send you the ash over and i was like there's no way he's talking about an ash can like it's like um, I thought that was really cool um, that you know comics creators are still doing this, especially in the indie market. Um, I I think if they if even if they're not, and we just happen to be like one of the few people who decided to bring back this little little bit of tech, if you will, uh, I I, th- I think it's a, a wonderful thing to have uh, because one it primes up people. Uh, for a new upcoming product uh, that they may enjoy, but you know, we'll give them a little sample of Uh, also we'll be going at conventions. So we don't know who we'll be running into. 
And the fact is, is that the Ashcan is a very cheap little product. Yeah, that's the main yeah. thing as well. It's the cheap. It's the cheapness of the book that's being made, but it gets it gets the point across what you're doing. So you can order a good main because when we ordered the Ashcan, it was in black and white. It was a staple back. It was round only around twelve to eight pages long in length, really, and the final cost of it barely went above a hundred. And that was for around 70 copies. Can one of you um, just really quickly explain what an ash can is for my audience that aren't comic creators? Oh, let me let Mike explain that. He's okay. So <laughs> what an ash can is, is um, if ever you are, um, you may have seen like old TV show pilots where they hadn't gotten all of the special effects in or uh, anything or, or for that matter, actually have, completely different actors uh, playing the characters. That's what an Ashcan is. An Ashcan is a, a slightly unfinished comic, uh, usually printed uh, cheaply over a printer, over at like your local uh, your local copy center, what have you. They're they are designed to be kind of down and dirty things because they're not exactly finished products, but they do give you an idea of what is to come later for other things. And it also kind of works out as a cool little collector's item down the line. And uh, and at the table there, it, it kind of serves as uh, like the little uh, little cheap Snickers bar right next to the cashier <laughs> stand. Right. right. They were also they were, used in the fifties uh, to steal to get copyright earlier than you than you originally would have been able to get it. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. There was there was that, but more or less, I got the idea from uh, a lot of the comics that when I was uh, when I was a kid back in the nineties, and Wizard would offer all these different ash cans, and I'd go to uh, different comic book shows, and they would actually show off some of the old ash cans that they uh, that the artist used to promote the product or to get the product picked up or or uh, later on to negotiate a deal for a comic book company to pick him up for another thing. Yeah. Um, and we'll talk about um, Tom and Artie in the second half of the show, but you're releasing it currently on Tapas, right? The website? Uh, what, you yes. mean with, with Bite or, or Tom yeah. and Artie? Tom and Artie. Are you, Tom, you, Tom and Artie is on Tapas Bite, not anywhere yet. Well, do you plan on releasing it online, or do you plan on selling physical copies? Uh, we we were making plans to run the Indiegogo campaign to uh, to sell physical copies, but right now my focus was because, to be honest, the top thing I want to do as a comics creator is that I want to feel like people are getting a bang for their buck before they dive in. They dive into that book, so. In the in the plans, I was making this may not be concrete. This may not stay the same. I'm just letting every all the watchers know that these plans probably aren't <laughs> going to stay the same. Is that we were making plans that I personally I want to release issue one of Bite for free for everyone, and then you know two two to five you know two to six, it would be a part of an Indiegogo campaign, just to like you know because I, I always felt like it's good to release the first issue. For, like for free, I let everyone get a taste, figure out if they like it, figure out if they want to see where it goes, and then go go forth with it from there. There's also going to be a color version of the ash can that's being worked on right now. That's going to be completely out for free. That's going to be, you know, when I when that's done, I'm just going to put up a link on my uh, on the Twitter page for Byte, 
and just let everyone go at it if they want to see it. Because when it came to like the first black and white ash can, I was only emailing and messaging like certain people, a lot of like close friends or contacts, and seeing if they wanted to get you know chit if they wanted to read it. I commend you guys for having this plan and having part of your product already completed because there's so many Indiegogo and Kickstarter campaigns for comics that are like, and then maybe we'll draw it. And it's like, what are you doing? If I can't look at the pictures, then there's no point. in. I, to be honest, I can, I can never get when people do that. I always had a feeling that if I'm going to run some type of campaign, there needs to be a portion of the work done before anything is put in motion. Yeah. I mean, I can I, understand. Uh, go ahead, Mike. Go ahead. No, no, I, I totally agree on that measure. And, and in all honesty, most successful uh, crowdfunding campaigns work upon that idea. I, I explain to people that crowdfunding is a lot like crowd surfing. <laughs> it's going to be pretty ugly if you don't have anyone down below you. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, that's what happens. You sometimes see people come in, they have like a really cool idea for a comic for their for their campaign. But then you scroll down and you see that I need this amount of money to get like an artist for it. And then they reveal that they didn't they don't even have an artist pick for it. They may have the script written, but they have no artist prepared. So all that preview imagery you see right there could change when the final book when the final book comes out. But I mean, that's also something I think that usually if I'm getting someone to draw the cover I'm going to get them to draw the book on the inside too. Anyone else that draws the cover that draws the cover is going to be, you know, kind of a second cover or a or variant cover. So you guys have been working together for um, a while now before you, before we started the call, um, Robert, you were saying that anything you're working on at this point, you can just assume that Mike is there. Yeah, pretty much. We've been, um, we're, we've known each other for like uh what, what my, like five years, about five years now. Yeah. What what started your guys's um, partnership, your friendship, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, who wants to, Mike? You want to tell us, or yeah, yeah. Us? Let, uh, let me let me go ahead and tell my side of the story, and then we, you know, then then you can go ahead and put in your perspective. All right, you start off. <laughs> so, uh, so what happened was is that about about the time I uh, back in like uh, 2013, I was going through a pretty rough time in my life uh and i just felt like i can't wait anymore i need to get things done and happening and of course real life <laughs> real life sometimes says hey hey that's a great idea it ain't happening but but the point being was is that i really wanted to to uh, take steps going on uh, going forward i already had a successful kickstarter campaign with a uh, uh, with an all ages uh, rpg called uh, golden, golden sky, sky stories. stories yeah we released it uh, me and my my good friend aaron uh, under starline publishing we released this wonderful little all ages Miyazaki role playing game. Uh, translated it and localized it uh, from Japanese into English, and it did fantastic. I did a lot of my homework on the crowdfunding, and that happened. And I wanted to m keep moving forward, so I I wanted to start. I always had an eye of of wanting to actually do comic writing and do more script writing and all of that stuff. Um, then uh, uh, then I ran into Rob uh, on a uh, on a Skype uh, on a Skype group chat. Uh, 
that happen to be for comic creators. And we would be just discussing about comic books we picked up and talking about other things. And then later on, we're just talking about our own projects and pitching it forward. Uh, is that about right, Rob? Yeah, that fits the mold very well of what happened. It's he, Everything he said was exactly how it went down. Actually, right down to the reason I started writing comics as well. It was because in those like past years... Like uh, it was around, yeah, it was around 2013. I was just, I was just getting out of high school. I was just going into college. I had ended a friendship, a really long friendship with like a good friend of mine's, and so I felt kind of lost at the time, where I didn't know, you know, my own identity. I was just kind of skating through life. It wasn't. It was then I realized. I always told myself, or I always tried to write. And it never really went through. So I finally told myself, you know what? I'm going to strap down and I'm actually going to try to write something. I'm going to change something in my life. I'm actually going to do something. So I began looking around online for different comic creator groups to join, which led me to Skype one. And what, and what Mike said, that's pretty much what happened. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, it's very, um, very kismetic almost. Um, was it Rocky at first working together or did you guys like hit a groove and then just keep it pretty much hit a groove and just kept it? Yeah. Yeah. If there, if anything, if there's ever a problem between us, we know we can, uh, we can be honest with each other and not, uh, and not beat around the bush and just yeah. say like, look, there's an issue here. What do we do with it? And then, and we've we've helped squared it away and improved our relationship uh, uh, even better. What would you say to artists that are starting out, um, for lack of a better term, a partnership with another artist? Like, what would, what advice would you give to them if they're at the beginnings of that of that kind of deal? Okay, if you're talking in terms of a writer starting a partnership with the with an artist. I would say the top thing you want to do is that you got to keep respect between each other and you want to make sure you both enjoy the idea that you're working on. This isn't, I mean, I'm the kind of guy where if I work with someone, I will tell them the pitch and I'll see how they respond to it and how excited they get about the idea. Because when you get someone that loves the idea you're working on, you're going to get a lot better, a lot better results. Now, now personally, I would say always, especially when this is coming in terms of money, you know, assuming that most of you, I'm pretty sure a lot of you are going to be paying the artists you work with, or there's going to be some type of, of deal going on, but you want to make sure you honor whatever it is that you're, you, the agreement you have made with the artist you're working with. Don't ever try to cheat out your artist. Don't, don't ever do that. It's not even just because of word travels fast, but you don't want to have someone who views you in a negative light in the, in the creator community. If they, you have to be honest with each other and they'll be honest with you. If you're not feeling it that day or you can't deliver on something, tell them that you can't deliver on something, or maybe you're going to take a little bit longer worth of payment. Just let, just let them know. Everyone can, un everyone can understand. There's nothing wrong with just being, with just telling the truth to people about a situation you wrapped yourself up in. I, I'd like to say that uh, uh, one thing, and, and this isn't strictly as a artist-writer partnership, but uh, in general between two creative people, I, I, do, I do definitely feel like uh, that if you're working in a partnership, it is very crucial that both of you are enjoying this. Uh, I've 
I've done a lot of different volunteer operations, bunch of different conventions, bunch of different uh, uh, nerdy fan projects, and everyone gets a different uh, different payment in lieu of cash when it comes to doing a full collaboration. And, and by full collaboration, I mean where neither of you are making money at this time. Uh, it is completely possible to do that. Uh, just make sure that, it, you know, it, it's all done and everybody's off hours. It, it's going to probably go uh, a lot so, slower than you think, but slow and steady wins the race. You, you, you can't just immediately feel like you're going to be able to get a lot of that stuff done uh, if if everybody else has to be working uh, a 40-hour job to pay the bills. Oh, yeah, that's another thing I want to go into if I could give that kind of advice is that when you start writing comics or you start drawing comics, everyone, don't think you're going to be getting popular out the get-go. It's it, it's a random bag all the way. It's like you know you're dropping you're dropping your your name in a hat filled with a bunch of other names. There are some people who as soon as they start they get they just kick right off. They get everyone watching. They get everyone talking about them. Some people they start off with just with just nothing. And if you're starting off with nothing, you're going to keep building yourself up and you're going to start thinking that the question that's going to hit you a lot is always going to be, what, what the hell am I doing? Why am I even still doing this? No one's paying, no one's paying attention to me. No one's even reading my stuff. And the whole thing is, look, I'm not, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to try to beat around the bush with that. That that feeling is going to come to you a lot, and you're going to have a lot of times where you're going to feel like you're ready to just throw in the towel and quit. Now, sometimes when that happens, you need to take a few days off, just try to collect yourself, maybe hang out with some friends, maybe take a small trip, or even just sit down and watch some movies for a couple for a couple of days, and just not do any work, and just let yourself refresh before you come you come back to it. Because I mean, when we did, you know, doing Bite, doing Tominari, none of this stuff is kicking off at, at, off the bat, man. <laughs> none of it, none of it is kicking off. There's not tons of articles coming in about, oh, have you read this? Have you read that? No, no, no. You could appeal to people, but it's not always going to go the way you think it is. And even then, don't be scared to appeal to someone, even if they look higher than you. You could toss your project at a few people who are more who are more in the industry or who are more bigger in the scene just to get their thoughts on it. You never know what can kick off from that. But they shouldn't always be your prime focus. That's a mistake that a lot of creators make, is that when they start creating their comic, the first thing they want to do is that they want to start appealing to the big to the big wigs in comics. They need to start messaging them, getting their getting their eyes on it. Which is nice, but it's like with uh, what someone told me once at a seminar, like uh, another comic creator, Ramon Gill, who runs these. He said a lot of these big creators, they already have friends. They already have a lot of friends. What you need to do is that you need to look around at the people who are in the same area you are and prop your, each other up over time. Yeah, I, I feel like you really do need to understand like when you're making – uh, making these projects, you guys, uh, both, both, uh, any creators, whether you're working in a team or by yourself, it should be about, I want to make this. I want to tell this story. I want to do this. I want to, I want to make this thing real for me. 
Because if you try making it like, oh, I just want to make a finished product and I want to make a ton of money doing that. And it's like, that's really nice. But you're going to be you might get a little disappointed there. It, it, it might be a bit of a setback, but go ahead and and tr- try focusing on I want to make something. And if somebody picks it up, great. If somebody doesn't pick it up, great. Because it's just, it's a story I wanted to see come alive. I wanted to make this thing happen. That's one of the important things is, is that you have to be your biggest fan. Your, your teammate has to be your biggest fan. You have to be your teammate's biggest fan. Both of you want to see that happen. And everything else besides that, that's just gravy. That's, that's just all the cherry on top. If you keep thinking about like uh, fame and fortune and everything, it's not gonna it's not gonna happen immediately. It's gonna it, it it's gonna be a slow ride. So just focus on the steps you take right now, and not and not what ha- like what happens when uh, when Marvel wants to sign you for like a a. Three movie deal. It, yeah, don't look. Don't be looking at what the big guys are doing. Focus on what you're doing. You don't need yeah. to be looking at what everyone with like high with high number counter do is doing every day. Which is, I mean, I'm I'm not the biggest fan of Twitter, honestly. I I only go on there really to advertise or check on a few friends' projects, and that's pretty much it. But it's just the fact that I hear always hear from other creators. They ask the question of why don't I have more followers? Why don't I have more people looking into me? Why don't I have that? And it just comes down to a lot of that is just a number. I see a lot of creators who would have like follower accounts that are in 1K. And yet you go down to their posts and the most their posts have are like two likes, two likes and one and one retweet. So it's not always about the number. It's just about what you're doing. Yeah. And and when you do have those fans and you do have uh, have uh, people come to you at tables uh, or or you're just pitching your book somewhere or just somebody says, Hey, that's a really cool piece of art on your t-shirt. What's it about? Is that from a show or anything? Like that's the perfect time to just be really polite, be, be really nice, treat how you would like to be treated when you're going over a meeting, uh, meeting a creator for the first time. It's, it's, you know, kindness always goes a long way and people will always remember their first encounter with you. And that will definitely, uh, decide things. We've always, when we were at our, uh, table at, uh, Silicon Valley comic con, uh, there was, there, there wasn't a lot of sales. Uh, there wasn't a lot of sales for anybody. I'm not, I'm not saying like, Oh man, we totally blew it. But no, it was just like, we did. I think we did okay considering uh, it. Just really wasn't a great show with uh, with just uh, too many expensive things to get in and and just competition in general. It, there just wasn't a lot of money to go around. But 
it didn't matter. We we always thanked people for taking the time to listen to us. Uh, if they bought our books, we gave them a firm handshake and thanked them from the bottom of our hearts. We happily signed. We we wouldn't mind just uh, you know just having a good old time talk, uh, talking and hanging out. That's what those shows are for, and and it's definitely a, a good idea. I know a lot of people. Uh, who do these kinds of work, they're not always the big uh, social animals. And that's fine. But, you know, you'll always be, even, even me, I don't, I'm not always up for like talking about everything, Mm -hmm. but, but, you know, there can always be like some common ground to be had. Have a good conversation, have a good talk with somebody, that kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah, uh, Brian Michael Bendis talks about uh, in his book Word for Pictures, which is if you're not familiar with it, it's the uh, it's his uh, Brian Michael Bendis. You know, he did Spider Man, but it's his um, <clears throat> it's his like on writing for comics, and he talks about when you're meeting these people, remember first things first is they're they're just people, you know. Before anything else, you got to be nice to them. Um, but yeah, we'll take a quick break here, and then we'll uh, come back and we'll talk some more about comics. So welcome back. If you guys are comfortable, we'll talk a little bit about Tom and Artie. And Mike, I understand you have some uh, personal projects you're working on as well. Uh, yes, I am. Uh, do, should we talk about Tom and Artie first, or I don't want to? Hey, I don't want to get into <laughs> that other stuff before we we get, go go uh, go cover about. Uh, yeah, like I say, if you, the get, other if you get Mike, if you get Mike talking, he's not he's not going to stop. So right. you might as well you might as well just go into Tom and Artie now. All right, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm kind of kind of nice like that. <laughs> <laughs> I've only got like two questions about Tom and Artie, and then we can just ramble. Um, so. Like we talked about, you're releasing it on Tapas, and there you're releasing your content. You're releasing it page by page. What's that been like? Uh, page by page hasn't been. It was a hard time to get the schedule down to just the, just the way I want it to be. Is because of the fact that I released when I first went on there. I released issue one entirely just in one update. And some of my other friends who were in who do web comics they were telling me, "Oh man, you shouldn't have done that. You should have just spaced it out over content updates over the months. This could have lasted you like several months." And I thought <laughs> about it, and I was just like, "Oh crap! Oh crap! They're right. This would have been, that would have been way better to just space it out." It was because of the fact. The one thing I know with people in web comics, or usually the readers, is that they are very impatient people. Usually, where if you say you're going to be hitting an update you better hit that update. And the whole thing is, is that when I'm doing Tom and Artie, I prefer to have a good backlog of content built up before I start uploading. Like when we finished issue two, we finished that in maybe uh, April around April and started updating it on Tapas on in June, like early June. We were, we updated Twice a week, which was Monday and Wednesday, two pages a week, because we felt that would be that would be the better way to get more people reading than just once a week. And it continued off from there. There were some people who 
read who read issue one and they were they were checking back in as well and when people saw the comic was now updating they started jumping back in on it on it too but oh. it wasn't like there was a a huge build or some or something at that start no it took some it took some building it still takes some building to get like the the right amount of viewers or even people reading in general like for some reason i don't know where the comic is being posted up at but for like the past three to four days there has been this surge in page views on the comic and i i really think this is because a day ago i was doing a survey and i was going around on twitter and and discord and i was asking a few of the of my like friends or people i know in some servers if they were reading the comic if they were if they read issue two and if they did i asked them what did they like about it? What didn't they like about it? What did they think needs needs improvement? And there was a lot of people that came in and they, and they told me what they thought needed improvement, what they liked about all. They answered those questions. There was like maybe there was a few people who said they weren't keeping up with it and they were sorry with it. But I was thinking that the surge of people that weren't said they didn't kept up keep up with it were the people that were now going back and reading through it because they knew now it, it was finished. And I think I'm not sure if that spread around, but I, I remember the day I did it. I was at work, and when I'm at work, I don't really check. I don't really check Tapas. I don't have it logged in. But I get home that day, and I check on my page views, and it was at like three three hundred thirty seven. I was just thinking, okay, what the hell happened <laughs> during the day then that this many people started reading? Yeah, he hadn't had a big surge like that since he released all of issue zero on uh, Tapas. I said, wait, wait, weren't you going to stagger it out a bit? Nah, just throw it on there. (laughs) Everybody's demanding more. (laughs) I didn't even get that big of a surge when I released issue zero. Not even at one. I think the only reason that two got this surge, not just because of the survey, is just because there were people waiting to hear that it was done because you know people binge read so yeah. chances are there was a few people that were just waiting for the comic to be done and they just jumped in after it was done it's not even technically done there's still like the last two updates are literally this week so i was thinking that's what people were really coming in for right um so you you've already written the entire issue before you start uploading correct yeah okay um well then not to gas you up or anything, but here's a compliment. You probably know that Stanley once said that every page should have a cliffhanger on it. Um, and so when I was reading, when I really caught up to issue two, I was reading through doing my research. I was like, and I really thought you were uploading these page at a time and writing them page at a time because of the way each page ends. You have it very spaced out and it's very impressive. Yeah, it was mostly, I prefer to write it all in it. To be honest, for me to write these issues, it takes like maybe a few months at best, like maybe a month or two, depending on how I'm feeling, because I've had issue. I honestly have had issue three on the back burner for like five months now. It's been I've been working on it since I finished writing issue two. And it's because I really only write when I'm feeling in the mood and as if I have a way to properly get the idea out there, because I want to feel like it's a good it's a good conclusion, because Issue three is basically concluding what's been going on in issue one and two before we jump into the next story. And so I felt some kind of pressure because I was just like, I want this to be a good finale. I want this to be good. I want this to get people really invested into it. Because I'm the kind of guy where I'm a perfectionist. I, I never think things I do 
or you know, or enough. It's always got to be something good. There's got to be something, something yeah. that gets people reading, something that gets people wanting to keep going in more and more. I want to get in a word in here edgewise. I, I don't think Rob is. Uh, uh, I think Rob's selling himself a little bit short when he says that uh, it's taken him five months to do uh, issue three. Keep in mind, a lot of the time what he's doing and how he works is that he'll be working on something else. And this will be like a Tominardi Tales or some other project or Bite or whatever. And so it goes a little more haphazard. But, you know, one thing I got to admire about Rob is that he's always writing. He's always coming up with stuff. So even if it's like I don't feel like doing issue three, he's doing something else. It isn't just like, hey, hey Rob, want want to get in on another uh, on another death match? <laughs> no, the, well, let's the hard... go on the PvP server. <laughs> no, the hard part is that sometimes I have people that would approach me and ask me if I could write something for them or if I could do like another project for them. I have like one friend of mine who was kind of approaching me with things like that, and I look at the current backlog of stuff I have. And I've always had to tell people that sorry, I can't I can't commit to another project right now in terms of a writing role. It would just I know what bur I felt burnout before and working on technically three projects at once, it's I'm surprised I haven't hit burnout like before. Last time I had burnout was maybe in September of last year. Yeah. It was around September of last year. That's when I hit like a really big burnout because I hit, I had just written like uh, for Talmanari Tales, the second version, I wrote like five scripts in one month in, in August. And so when September came in, I was just like, I don't I don't feel like writing for a little bit right now. I need to take a break. Yeah. I mean, it's a really it's a we were talking about it before the break. It's a real thing that, you know, independent artists go through is you 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 work and work and work and work and work. And then you get to the end of it and you're like, I'm done. You know, Oh, do you have any advice on like getting out of that burnout, stepping back into it? Is it just start writing again or is it more complicated than that? It's not always just start writing again. It's more of like, you need to take some time. You need to wind down and just maybe not think about your work for a few days. Maybe, I mean, I work a full-time job, so I'm technically getting a break every time I get up and I, and I go to work. Because I don't need to focus on that while I'm at work. I mean, yeah, I still do carry around the notepad with me. And I take down notes if I have good ideas on my phone. But I try to not think about it 24-7. Because it just feels like I'm overloading my brain trying to think of new ideas. And I always find myself when I overthink my my situation. I'm trying to think of new ideas. I'm trying to force them out. I usually don't get the things that I that I like out of it. But if I take a few and I take a step back and I just like relax for a bit, then the ideas start coming and flowing and flowing back in. Like as soon as I got back from SVs from like, you know, Silicon from Silicon Valley, you know, San Jose, I was I just relaxed when I got back home. But it wasn't until like a day later that ideas for issue three started flowing back into my head. And I was messaging Mike with ideas for what we could for what I could do in it. And I was bouncing them off of him while I was at while I was at work. It was also because that day I I came back right after I went into work, and I because I didn't remember the vacation days I had put up, so I go into work and I'm about to clock in, 
And one of my employer, one of my employees, he stops me. He's just like, "Wait, why are you here?" I was like, "What do you mean?" Just like, you know, you don't work today, right? This is still part of your vacation. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally." <laughs> and, then I, and then I felt like a jackass, and I had I left. For, for me, I want to go go and say about burnout because I've dealt with burnout in in both like working on a project, but also. Also, like, uh, I did uh, a lot of role-playing game demonstrations. I'd go to different anime conventions, and I'd just do all kinds of RPG demos to show off Golden Sky or, or some of the other projects that I'd work on. And uh, improv and creative writing and just tapping into that creative spark of yours that's going to take a lot of energy. That's going to take a lot more effort and you got to pace yourself. I, I like to think of the, the late great Robin Williams. Everyone said, Hey, do something wacky. And he'd look at them and say like, wacky takes a lot out of me. It, it, it it's a lot of work. <laughs> and, and that's, that's something you guys need to be uh, very aware of. Because if you don't, it, it will start kicking your ass. And you just got to learn to pace yourself, learn when to say no, learn to just chill out, recharge your batteries with whatever way you wish to do so. But do do it in a way that is different from what you have done. It's it's something when I suffer burnout working as a as a video game tester. I just like after a while, like, oh, my God, I'm starting to be uh, I'm no longer into uh, uh, video games. I don't want to play video games when I go home. And then I realized, wait a minute, I don't have to, I mean, I'm playing I'm working on one game, but I can go home and just play something completely different and I'm fine. And that's that's the way I've worked around it. I, I get assigned an RPG. I'm going to be playing shooters. I'm going to be pl- uh, working on some kind of uh, um, shoot 'em up or or a sports game. I'm going to be doing something a little more strategic. It, it 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 it's all about finding that nice balance without having to alienate yourself from the things you love that are connected with what you are doing. I, I find both of your responses very true and very insightful to this idea of burnout. Because um, it will happen. Don't, don't make no mistake you know, about it. it. Like I said, it, it happens. It's one of those things that just... Could and just, that's not a failure on you. That's That has nothing to do with you. That just has everything to do with you know, we're, we're all living creatures, man. It's, we're not just going to be robots. It's not going to work 24 seven. We got to take breaks and we got to take breaks even from the things we like to do. Uh, we could, we could work on something tangentially. Uh, and sometimes that could be, uh, just as good, but you can't, you, you can't burn the, the candle at both ends. Yeah. You can't expect that this creativity or this freedom or you feel is going to hit 24 seven. There's going to be days where you don't feel like anything. There are nights where I could just ham out like half of my script in one, in one sitting, but then other nights I could sit there and just like, I can't write one word. 
I'm not even going to try to add anything insightful on top of that. That was just good advice. <laughs> <laughs> Moving into uh, Mike, you're working on Fridge Girl at the moment. At the uh, time yeah, of- yeah. So, uh, so I am working on a few other projects. Uh, one of which is uh, is Fridge Girl, the Absolute Hero. Uh, title may be uh, currently tentative, uh, but it's it's essentially I wanted to always I I, I had this idea uh, for for a long time now, and I always felt like it would be a lot of fun to play around with this concept of a uh, we're, we're you know, and I'm not going to make any any bones about it the like fridge girl is very much poking fun at the whole uh women in refrigerators thing it uh, like i get worried sometimes people think it's like a snuff comic or or something like that and it's like no no it, it just happens to be that she happens to have gotten her powers from a walk-in refrigerator that she was trapped in and then she actually freed herself, and due to the methods of how she freed herself, she gained superpowers. Right. But then at the same time, I also didn't... I always felt it was always odd uh, watching shows like, say, uh, you know, old cartoon shows where it would be about, like, a group of superheroes, and they're the only superheroes that are in the world. Yeah. And I always felt that was really weird, especially like stuff like teen Titans. And then there would be like this big global scenario in this, uh, you know, when they did some of their multi-part stories and I'd go like, where's, where's Batman? Where's, where's like the JLA on this? Where, I thought, you know, I thought what's going on with that? Something like about how you have all these heroes that are either global or even just across the state. And yet the team Titans were the only ones that come, that's only come up with the idea to do a team up. Yeah. 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 Or yeah, there's, there was that. Um, and I, I, I uh, remember visiting a comic book store and they'd have a yearly sale. Uh, The owner, Ryan's always super awesome. And he pointed me over to like some of these great collections of old comics. And I'd just be able to read like full storylines and uh, everyone. uh, I hope, uh, hope people here uh, to go back to the Teen Titans analogy. Uh, there was the whole thing of uh, the Trigon storyline, where Trigon essentially created hell on Earth, and and I actually went to uh, later on. I bought the uh, comic version of that, and I'd read through it, and they actually took the time to show like. Yeah, uh, this was felt everywhere, and and this and uh, Superman, Batman, and all the other Justice League favorites, uh, they fell prey to it just as uh, quickly as everybody else, and that was that was kind of a cool thing. And I always, uh, and I kind of also got a little inspired by Young Justice, which had like these smaller characters that are working in a much bigger world. And so I wanted to look at fridge girl in that same way that she's a blue collar hero. She, uh, I've, I've likened her to like a, 
uh, artist who's just started out, when you you decide to pick up a hobby or you want to try out a new profession, no one's going to immediately give uh, you know hand you uh, uh, hand you like the keys to Disney and tell you go whole hog. No, you you got to start from square one. You you have to edge out. You're not going to get trained by Batman. Sorry. Uh, you know, Michael Jordan isn't going to come over and give you uh, tips on your uh, on your hook shot. It's not happening, guys. So so in, in which case uh, Fridge has to kind of make do. Uh, she has to go go with like a, a, a meetup.com website group meetup for uh, local <laughs> supers. Uh, she has to deal with the people who, who can actually offer her advice. Uh, anything that would be of a, a larger scale is just kind of ineffectual. Like I, I, I kind of wonder like how many, uh, like does, does, uh, does the Avengers happen to just have a mailing list for every single superhero and they just happen to send out like an automatic mailer? Like, <laughs> congratulations, you're an Avenger. Sure. Yeah, that was, I mean, that was one thing we all know of where, you know, it wasn't until the movies everyone thought this Avengers was a big thing in Marvel, but it just turns out, hey, almost everyone has been an Avenger before. They yeah. they rotate out they rotate out of members so quickly it's not even funny. Well, that was the whole bit of the 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 Great Lakes Avengers when they first came out in the eighties or nineties was that like literally anyone can be an Avenger at this point. R.I.P. Steve Ditko. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Theater of Squirrel Girl. <laughs> yeah. I mean, He's Jack Kirby hated his version of Spider-Man so much he destroyed it. So thank God for Steve Ditko to be there. <laughs> um, so are you familiar with um, Brandon Graham, Mike? I, I can't say that I have. So he did a, he did a novel. Um, well, he he did a graphic novel called uh, King City. You should check out. Uh, he did it with Tokyo Pop before DC. No, before Image um, absorbed them. Uh, so it's and it's called King, King City? City. Yeah, King City. It's this weird sci-fi story about like cats you inject with darts that like make them transform into tools for you to use. But it hits the same idea that you're talking about. Um, near the end of the near the end of the 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 novel, um, the main character's like mentor turns to him and goes like and says like, "Oh, you can leave and we'll deal with this world in the crisis. Go." Go go figure out stuff with your friends. Like go do the other things you need to do. Just completely re- rejects the idea that our character has to be the one that saves the world because all these other giant superpowered people are here as well. Um, so I figured you'd enjoy, you would enjoy that. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, that definitely sounds like really up my alley. I I actually spent a lot of time uh, researching Fridge Girl by by reading. Uh, you know, the, not only just the usual stuff, but but things like uh, PS two thirty eight by yeah. Aaron Williams. Yeah, uh, if you want to know like a funny thing about Mike Astro Girl, City, when uh when Mike was first like bringing Fridge Girl around in our in our circuit when we used to be in like the uh, the comic creator groups, there was a few people after he would tell the ideas he had about the rest of the world of superheroes. And they would instantly start comparing the boys to, uh, to it. And this, like, that got him so mad. <laughs> yeah, it funny. did. It's it like, like his trigger. <laughs> it, but but it, it's it, it's like 
It's like if somebody was pitching Winnie the Pooh and then said, so it's about bear attacks. It's <laughs> so like, I, I'd imagine that would make, uh, that, that would make AA mine, uh, really, really postal after a point. No, yeah, it's no, like, I'm... so does the bear mold the child? It's like, no, it's a cute little story. This is fun. This isn't about like, like the weird ass stuff. Mind you, this was before the, the TV show, but yeah, that would, that would actually happen. Yeah. It yeah, was it... because we've hit this age with a lot of indie super superheroes is that if you're pitching an indie superhero comic a lot of people want to wait for okay what's the uh, what's the catch what's, what's the, the hook what's the yeah. hook what's the subversion what's and your... it's just no it's just a just a super just a superhero yeah and mike do you want to really quickly explain the women in refrigerators thing for my audience okay so uh so women in refrigerators came up i believe about in the late 90s uh yeah. I, I might be getting this a little off. It was. It, it had was, to do with a uh, Kyle Reiner, right? Kyle Reiner. Uh, Kyle, Kyle, Kyle Reiner. But yeah. but specifically, it dealt with the in in the uh, in the large sense. It had to deal with, deal with uh, that female characters. Uh, who who would usually run who weren't the main character they were just the proprietary characters that they would be the ones who would uh suffer uh immediate and permanent consequence to uh to their action like if uh batman breaking his back no big deal after some point he's gonna come back uh not being a paraplegic but while on the other hand, we had Barbara Gordon, who did become paraplegic. And, right. <laughs> and it wasn't until like a full-on reboot, uh, New 52, did she ever get up out of that wheelchair. Yeah. Uh, and that's that. it's not specifically talking about death per se, but it was usually about like how, uh, how certain characters – would get would get bitten off or or knocked off uh just for the sake of of the hero's concern or the hero's uh the the hero now has to have something new and at stake and it was mostly spawned by uh by Kyle Rayner's girlfriend Alexandra uh and and how she was murdered by major force I believe was that major force. I think it was. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, point was is that he he put in a little note at Kyle Rayner's house and said left something in the fridge for you, and <laughs> it's the dead body of his girlfriend. Uh, so so later on, like refrigerators became a frequent joke with Kyle Rayner. Uh, but that that that's how it was dubbed, like women in refrigerators. Not that not that every single uh, uh, female character who bought it uh, was a uh, uh, thrown into a refrigerator or whatever. And like you said, you're not making a commentary on this. It just so happens that your character gets their powers from a refrigerator. Right, right. I don't, because if I just made it about the subject, 
that would get a little that would get a little old. I wanted to go ahead and tell like fun stories involving yeah. uh, weird little monsters and having to try out a new job uh, and try to make money after you worked so much in retail. It, it's it's that kind of fun thing about uh, about the series. I don't want it to be specifically like. Like we can we can get like harder stories elsewhere, so yeah. uh, and I think that's that's very important. But at the same time, I think it's equally as important to do something like this because it's fun to just have like uh, these characters who who kids can even read and enjoy, and they can just fall into the whole fantasy of the entire thing. That that okay, I I even set up like this case where where she can actually make money doing doing these kinds of things she can uh, live stream her superhero patrols she can uh she can uh, like do merchandise she can even uh take in bounties and these are these are things that uh she's going to need to do to earn money and and to get advanced into the world and i want to show that it's not always going to be excuse me it's not always going to be like super easy but you know you'll be making new friends and you'll be uh, keep going along and keep finding new adventures and that's the whole idea for her yeah um i'm excited to see it uh please stay in touch and give us updates as it comes out and we'll put it on I will give one more thing about about Fridge Girl. Uh, her full full name for uh, for you big comic fans. Here we go. Is her her full name is Alexandra Stacy Brown. If you can guess which uh, which girls I named named her after, well then you'll get the Marvel No Prize. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, even I don't know that one. Um, and I'm comics are like half of what I do. Okay, so. Before we go and we start plugging social medias, um, are there any um, artists that you guys are influenced by that you'd like to say, like, check these guys out? This is what I'm this is what I'm reading. Um, uh, I'd like um, to go ahead and plug another project I'm on, and this will be brief. I actually uh, I actually help localize the English translation for a LGBT comic on Tapas and on Webtoon uh, called uh, it's called Letters on the Wall and I and and for those of you who uh, who might like think eh, I'm not sure about that it's it, it the way I've read it and the way I've been working at it is it's like a classic John Hughes teenage uh early 20-something drama romantic comedy kind of thing. Just happens to that the uh, that the romantic leads are two girls, and that's it. Uh, I, I like the characters. I love the anima- uh, animation. I love the artwork uh, uh, done, uh, done by uh, uh, the, the art team. Uh, just the artist is... is Super awesome, Jackie. Uh, and same same thing with the writer, and I just helped bring that all out. So I think that's definitely worth uh, worth a look. Um, there's three there's three people I want to plug actually. First person I want to plug is my color is my colorist Gilly. 
Her name is her name on Twitter is at Gilly the Silly. I want to plug her because she's actually she does animations on the side too, and she's actually working on her own animation for her own series that's currently unnamed at this at this current time. If you go on there, you can actually see some of the some of the bits of the animation in a demo reel that she's been putting together, and we actually did put her character. Her character's name is Nameless. Said, "Hey, it's Josh. Um, the last couple minutes of this episode." aren't able to be listened to. I'm not really sure what happened to the file, but they won't play. I can't find them on my computer. And I really am sorry for that, both to Robert and Mike and to, you know, you guys, the listeners. Um, It seems like every couple of weeks we do this. And I uh, can only say that I am going to try to do better in the coming weeks and the future of the show. Um... For Byte, for these amazing guys that I've had on, make sure you follow the <clears throat> actual comic, comic itself, which is at Byte underscore comic. Um, you follow the main artist, at Roger Bonnet, um, the person who does their coloring, Jilly underscore the silly, and the letterer, at Dosinks, which is D-O-C-I-N-K-S, all on Twitter. The editing is done by Mike Stevens and... Um, Jim Instrovich, which is at J-I-M-I-N-I-N-S-T-R-O-V-I-C-H. Um, you can also follow the Tom and Artie comic page on Twitter. That's at Artie Tom, A-R-T-I-E-T-O-M. I'm so grateful that Mike and Robert were able to come on and talk to me. I really wish I could, I could have saved the last couple of minutes because they were a lot of fun. They're both really great guys, and um, make sure you check out their stuff and keep an eye on Byte because I think the Ashcan is uh, almost ready to be fully published. I was able to read it before the show because Robert was really cool and gave it to me to check out, which was awesome. Um, but if you like what you see on the Twitter, if you like what you heard today, uh, check out the comic and let them know that you know you came from the little guys. I think that'd be pretty cool. A little pat on the back. Um, so yeah, I'll see you guys next week. Make sure you follow the show on Twitter at the little guys three.